0: We have been using the different songs out of the Gospel of Luke to ask particular questions of the Gospel story. And this week it is, How Did God Do It? And this story comes from Simeon's song, found in Luke, the second chapter. When the parents brought in the child Jesus, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and your soul will be pierced also. The words of Simeon proclaim in the power of the Spirit the truth about the divinity of our Lord as well as the fullness of the redemption plan in Jesus. He is the light of revelation to the Gentiles. He is the glory of the people Israel. And Simeon also speaks prophetically about the moment when the Son of Man would be emptied for the sake of the world on a cross. His little words to Joseph and Mary, your soul will be pierced. Mary would see this act of selfless giving and sacrifice, and her soul would be pierced, as Simeon shows, by a redeeming act of love on the cross. How did he do it? The scriptures show us that God saves through the sacrifice of the Son of Man, that all who believe in him would not die, but spend an eternity with him. Amen. Lord, help us understand and perceive the implication for all of these truths as we prepare to gather in so many different contexts, in so many different ways, in so many different homes, around so many different kinds of food and meals in the coming week. As we were talking about missions earlier a few minutes ago, I failed to mention that the the newsletter for the Wileys is available in the back and there's a missions table there for you to learn more about what's going on with the Wileys in particular. Next month we hope to hear from uh, George and Marge Miller, who are here this morning, sitting right here, uh, to be with their uh, grandchildren who were singing earlier. And uh, uh, you don't mind if I identify you, some people don't know who, who you are. But they're on their way to Malawi uh, again next month and we'll have opportunity opportunity to, to highlight that. And I also see Ron and Corinne here. You don't mind me pointing you out, do you? I hope uh, that their children are in Turkey. And there's, there's just been so much in the news uh, about Turkey with uh, car explodings and, and, and people being killed and all of the, uh, the fighting that goes on there, not only over the, the Syrian border, which is close to Aleppo, but also in the far southeast of the country uh, with the Kurds as well. And so with Josh and Jamie, if you're wondering what's going on with them, uh, avail yourself to uh, Ron and Corinne this morning. And, uh, and, and speak to them about that. <clears throat> Paul's away. I gave the boss the day off. Little B boss the day off. <laughs> and uh, Paul's away to have an opportunity to have a Christmas break uh, with his family this weekend. And Lord willing, he'll be back to uh, lead us in all of our Christmas services next weekend. And so we won't be in Daniel this morning. I'm going to actually use the text that I used uh, here at the at the Advent wreath to preach a, a Christmas message this morning. So if you'd like to find it in your Bibles, it's in Luke the second chapter, and I'm going to read a few more verses than what was read a moment ago. Luke chapter two, begin reading at verse 25. <clears throat> As you're turning there, I'd like to just say welcome to anybody who may be visiting this morning. Um, Our apologies for all of that white stuff on the ground out there. It's a little bit embarrassing for us. Uh, Please don't tell anybody as you go back to the prairies that it snows in Parksville. But uh, it does. Get over it, (laughs) right? (laughs) It just does. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Do you know what that means? It means that God's going to console Israel. And it means that it's all going to happen right now in a baby named Jesus. That's all that that means. Actually, it's a lot. But that's what the word consolation means. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Notice that Simeon was not just acting in his own natural self and instincts and wisdom. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Again, notice that Simeon does not have knowledge of his own, of his own insight. That he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit Guess guess which spirit that is? The Holy Spirit. Third reference to the Holy Spirit. He came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. I hope you can see the, the lines that are drawn here between Simeon, filled with the Spirit, the baby Jesus, in peace. Now your servant can depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. It's in a baby. And you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, these are words about Jesus, in all peoples, in their presence, a light for revelation. That's that wonderful Greek word, uh, apocalypse. Revelation. Something that we have no way of knowing if God doesn't show it to us. Revelation a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pause and pray. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. Help us, I pray, with the wisdom that you alone can give. Encourage our hearts, I pray, Lift our eyes to see something of Jesus this morning at this Christmas season. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. I want to make you think this morning. Please don't run out screaming with your hands over your head. I want to make you think this morning about something very simple. I want to make you think about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians. The Holy Spirit, as I emphasized in the reading, factors prominently in the story of Simeon. There's something about the work of the Spirit that enables Simeon to see something about Jesus that could not be seen by the natural eye, And what Simeon could see by the power of the Spirit about Jesus did something in the life of Simeon. Isn't that simple? Now I want to say that that's how the Christian life works. That God gives us a Holy Spirit. Why? In order that we would see something about his son Jesus that we could not otherwise ever see. And what does that do? Does it leave us uh, merely as we are found? No, it leaves us changed people. And you'll recognize that little phrase, changed people. It's what Christians ought to be. It's what Christians claim to be. And so this is a a simple Christmas message from the birth of Christianity about a fundamental of Christian truth about how does it work? I've been asking myself all of my Christian life, really, but I find myself articulating it in a way that I haven't recognized in myself before. And it's this simple question. What does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? In other words... I ask myself, in the circumstances that I'm living, in the situations that I'm facing, in the things that, 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 that life brings to me, what would it look like for me to responding to, to be responding to life, to be living in life, in my words and my thoughts and my attitudes and my actions, in, 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 in my behavior and my, my, my character? What would it look like for me to be full of the Holy Spirit, in this particular situation? I wonder what you would say if you sat across from me in my office, as many people do. And it's a privilege to talk to people and, and, and hear their stories. And, and sometimes life is perplexing, though. And I wonder what you would say in, in the midst of, of the circumstances in life that you are walking in. And the things that you're skeptical about and the things that annoy you, and the things that that make you angry, the things that that discourage you, and the things that that make you despair, and the things that stress you out. If I were to ask you the question, what would it look like? (laughs) What would it look like for you to be full of the Holy Spirit? I believe it's a very relevant question, and I believe that the story of Simeon and the connection that it draws between the work of the Holy Spirit and the ability to see something in Jesus and the peace and the comfort that it brings into a soul is relevant. It's how it works. So, this is what I would like you to take home with you this morning. If you don't get anything else this morning, if I I, I lose you, if I go subterranean, this is what I would like you to understand, that the Christian life Depends on this. The Christian life thrives daily on this. This isn't just a once and done thing. This is something that, that, the, that is daily in our lives that we depend upon and thrive on is the Holy Spirit comforting us with the revelation of Jesus as God has given him for us. See, God has given Jesus for this very thing That not that it would just be an idea or or an ideal or or a theory in our head, but that we would actually be able to say, in the words of Simeon, this has brought me comfort. Not that we're going to die like Simeon was. (laughs) But it's brought me comfort. I tell people this all the time. I've said it in this pulpit. I'll say it again. This is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. It means for our Lord Jesus Christ to be made plain in all of his bigness to us. And if we claim to be full of the Holy Spirit, then I want to hear from you words about your Lord. And if you claim to know our Lord, then I want you to understand that it's not by your own uh, power. It's not by your own wisdom. It's not by your own insight and ability that you know something of the beauty and the majesty and the glory of our Lord. It's because of the gracious work of the Holy Spirit that God gives to us freely in order to see. See, Christianity is a glory religion. Some people call it a power religion. There there is power in it. There has to be power in it. But but the reason that there's power in it because it's first and foremost a glory religion. And Lord, help us if we are left merely to our own human devices. John Calvin said this centuries ago about the Holy Spirit and his institutes of religion. He said the Holy Spirit is the bond. The Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually unites himself to us. It, it, it's a very profound but, but very simple thing. He's using an analogy of glue, of two things mashed together. He says that that's what the Holy Spirit does. It's the, it's the bond by which the Apostle Paul would say seals us to our Lord and Savior so that, that, that Christ is actually united to us. See, When Christ is made big to us. Bigger than the circumstances of life. The circumstances of life where our our, our natural reflexes, we all have natural reflexes, we have natural instincts by which we make our way in this world. All those thoughts and words and ideas and and attitudes and behaviors that I was talking about. But our, our natural instincts of stress, of anxiety, of fear, of jealousy, of bitterness, of lust, all fail us for godliness. And the transformed life, the, the, the changed life, all the way that God, all the different ways in which God calls us to vocationally live lives that, that transcend our natural behavior, and I hope you understand that, that that's what the Christmas story is all about. It's, it's, it, it, it's not just about some historical thing that, that, that we believe happened. It, it, it's something that, that is a reality that, that comes into the lives of believers, that we experientially find something in our Savior that does transform us. You see, Christian faith is, is more than just will worship. It, it, it's more than just, and it's, it's, it's not magic. I say that all the time. Forgive me for saying it again, but it's true. It's not magic. But those are the two things that, that many people understand fundamentally about what Christianity is. It's just simply a manipulation of the will. And that's what preachers are all doing all the time. They're just standing up and banging people all the time. You've got to do this and this and this and this. And, 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 and people are, are, are submitting to it. Yeah, I want to do better. I want to do better. Or they think that it's magic, it's some sort of mystical thing that nobody really understands and we just hope it all kind of comes down upon us. Neither of those are, 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 if you believe that about Christian faith, you don't have Christian faith. That's not how it works. It's a glory religion. I love the words of the Apostle Paul when, when he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says that God has shown in our hearts shine something in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Wow, that's glory religion. Just like Simeon, we, 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 we see something in the face of Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a revelation to us, and it's glory. It's a manifestation of beauty, and it makes a difference. That glory, of course, is salvation, as Simeon makes clear. In verse 32, Simeon says this. He, he uses two phrases that are synonymous with each other. One is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. I emphasized it when I, when, when it, when I read it. A revelation. Jesus is a, a revelation for, for the nations. And what that means simply is this, is that there is something in Jesus that the nations have no way of knowing about God unless God shows it to them in Jesus. That's what that means. And the words glory for Israel, what that means is that this is something, these are things that God has been telling Israel all along. Right from the very beginning, from the calling of Abraham, this is, these are things that, that Israel already knows, already understands, particularly through all the ways that God has spoken to them. And it's their glory that God is fulfilling His word and manifesting the embodiment of all that He ever spoke of. And it's for their glory. But it's for a revelation to the Gentiles. I want to expound briefly this morning on this idea of revelation and glory of Jesus and show that it's, it's the very thing that the Spirit uses to sustain us in a day-to-day living of the Christian life, to enable us to experience something of that revelation, something of that glory in our lives that, that, that actually makes a difference. It, it's an, an amazing thing what, what Simeon does. He walks into the temple. And you know what the temple represents for the Jewish people. The temple was the place for revelation for the Gentiles. It's the place on earth, on on Mount Zion, where where God established his presence so that the nations could see that the God of Israel is Lord of the earth. It was the light for the Gentiles. It was also the glory of Israel. It's in the temple precincts that, that represented to the Israel people. This is where God has spoken This is where God has dealt with us tenderly. This is where God speaks to us of the forgiveness of sins. And in that temple place, we went through this when we went through the Gospel of Luke over and over again. So this is by way of reminder for many of you. But in that temple, and all that the temple represents, Simeon goes over, and he picks up a baby. And he says, in in the temple, he says, in this baby is a light for the Gentiles. In this baby, no longer in the temple. All that the temple spoke of is now, by the the grace and mercy and the power of God, is coming to its fulfillment in this who will be king of God's kingdom. And it's the glory of Israel in a child. That's what the Christmas story is all about. And I'm going to identify three things. They're they're not random things, but they are things that I've chosen. Other things could be said about the substance of, of the revelation. What does God show us by the Holy Spirit about Jesus that brings us comfort, that sustains us in our daily walk? Three simple things. This is the, 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 the ABCs of what it means to believe in Jesus. That in Jesus there is a revelation of divinity. A revelation of divinity. It's so significant. Secondly, that there is A revelation of truth. A revelation of truth. And thirdly, a revelation of hope. These are extremely simple. A revelation of divinity, a revelation of truth, a revelation of hope. They're very simple and basic truths about Jesus. That if I asked any one of you, if you believe those things, you would probably say, well, yes, that's what I understand to be true about Jesus. But if I understood you, does it comfort you? Does the Holy Spirit take these things? Does He, and does He manifest them to you, in the circumstances of life, in ways that that actually comforts you? you? see, these aren't things that we learn just once. They are things that we learn again and again and again, over and over. It's like you know what it means to to to, to yeast. To, to knead yeast into bread. You don't just sprinkle it on top and you're done. And this is what God does needs to do through the work of the Spirit with these truths is that that every time we, we're facing paths that are perplexing, every time we face circumstances in life that, that that stress us out, we don't know what to do, that that these are the things that, that God brings into our, our our life. And He needs them into our life again and again but we need to understand that this is how the work of the spirit operates in our lives look to him for it and understand that this is how we look to the spirit to work in us some some of us some of you all many of us we live in circumstances that we never dreamed of or expected i think well you know what I, my, my life isn't exactly how how I imagined it. And, I, 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 and, and I'm the same way. I, I talk to a lot of people and I'm the same. I identify myself when I talk to people. I talk to a lot of people that they've got lots of faith to live the life that they thought they should have had. <laughs> they can live that life easily. The life that they expected to have. The life that they thought God would give them. They've got lots of faith to live that life. But seriously... What life, is, what, what life is faith for? Is faith for the life that we think we should have had? Or is faith for the life that we're actually living? We all know that there's such a thing as unreal Christianity. We know that there's a kind of Christianity that is that is is not connected to these realities. We know that it's there's a kind of of Christianity that is external, that knows nothing of the work of the spirit, or the beauty and the glory of Christ. It's for display, it's for consideration of others, it's for take out and go for a drive to church on Sundays. So let me speak on these briefly on these three things. The spirit-filled life. Is sustained by experiencing the comfort of a Savior who is a revelation of divinity. This is the glory of Israel and the revelation to the Gentiles. The glory of Israel that is, is your God, or your, the God of Israel is not an idol. He is the living God. He is the Lord of all things. He is the creator of all things. And we face circumstances in life, though. When we need the weight of divinity as a ballast for our soul, or we get tossed around. Let me use the simple vocabulary for that, for the, what I just described. It's called stress. Do you know what stress is? You ever feel, ever feel guilty about it? Oh man, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be stressed. You talk to somebody who's miserable. And we often judge people who are miserable and think, well, what a miserable so-and-so. But you know you figure out soon enough that there's a reason for that. They're under stress. And we're no different in our homes, in our marriages, with our kids, in our workplace, in our church, <laughs> in our committees. We face stress. And this is, this is the nuts and bolts of, 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 of the Christian life, that Jesus is not a pocket God. It was the glory of Israel that he was the living God and now that, that living God is given as, as a revelation to the Gentiles in the person of Jesus. The living God who, who, who unites himself with us, who brings the weight and the presence of divinity into our lives. And, but you see, there's a huge cultural obstacle to this. Do you know what it is? It's not very complicated. It's... it's It's unbelief. It's everywhere. God? You believe in what? You believe in who? Who's done what? Who's where? Who's doing what? People are incredulous. And we live in in a in a collision of completely irreconcilable worldviews. And you need to figure out which one you believe. It's fundamental to living as a Christian. Do I believe in the living God? I'm going to use the Psalms to to articulate ways that we are taught in the Scriptures to respond in these kinds of situations and take something like the weight of deity and bring it into human situations where we feel stress and understand, how do I talk in the language of the Spirit? Well, you can begin with Psalm 14.1 that says this. The fool says in his heart that there is no God. But tell me if you know this one. Psalm 23.1. Heard this before? The Lord is. What a wonderful use of the indicative. The Lord is my shepherd. experiencing the comfort of a Savior who was a revelation of truth. Let me tell you what I mean by the word truth. What I mean by the word truth is something that corresponds to reality. You see, I don't really care what you believe about God. I don't really care what you believe about the world around you. What I care about is if there really is a God. That's what I care about. I care about if the things, if there is a way to come to an understanding of of seeing things that correspond to an actual reality. It isn't just somebody's opinion. It isn't just somebody's idea. Jesus is a revelation of truth. See, there are times in life when we need the security of a strong identity, right? I mean, not only do we face stress in life, I face stress and I, I talk with people who are stressed out all the time. Probably the second biggest thing that I see in my life and I see in the lives of people around me is insecurity. Insecurity. And we need a strong identity. We need an identity that isn't based on on, on how much... We earn or how we earn what we earn or what our looks are like or what our bank account is like or what our family looks like or whether our children are well behaved or not or what color our skin is or what country we live in and see this was the glory of israel the glory of israel was this is that god spoke truth to them and he spoke to them things that they had no way of knowing outside of the revelation of god to his people and what does god say about himself he says i love you He says, I am generous of spirit towards you. He says, I want to make you my possession. I want to forgive your sins. I want to make your your sins, though they be like scarlet, as white as snow. They had no way of knowing any words like that except there be a revelation of something that corresponds to that reality. And the reality, I believe with all of my heart, is true, that there is a God who loves There's a God who gives grace and mercy and forgives and allows us to be called his child. And that, in Jesus, is a revelation for all of the Gentiles to see and to know and to experience. There's a huge cultural obstacle to that. It's called relativism. Do you know what it is? It's saying there is no truth. (laughs) Come on, you can't know that. There's no way of knowing anything about what is unseen. There's no way of being sure of anything. You see it all, all around us. You see it in the way people live. You see it in the way people think. Again, it's something, you've got to figure that out. Do I believe that Jesus is a revelation of truth? And this, this brings comfort. As, as Simeon was comforted in, in, in the Lord, he says, now I can, I can die in peace. It, it, it brings comfort to those who belong to Jesus because it gives us an identity that we belong to a heavenly father. You have no idea what difference and what comfort that makes in the lives of believers. Really, practically, practically. I belong to a heavenly father who loves me and there's nothing about what I do, how what I say, or what I experience in this world that can ever change that. You see, when we talk about truth, a lot of people go first and foremost in their mind, okay, you say a word and, and people, it's associated with something. What's associated in your mind when I say the word truth, Christian truth? A lot of times, where people go, first and foremost in their mind, is in the realm of morality. Although that's what what Christians are always talking about, truth. They think they know how to live better than other people, and they think they they know what's right in all things. But let let me say this, that, that the most significant thing about truth is not first and foremost knowing what to do, but rather to know who we are. to know who we are. Truth establishes an identity. It reveals something about God that we could not possibly know otherwise. And it's from that identity, it's from within that identity that we take on the vocation of living morally. But the identity comes first. You'll really struggle (laughs) living uh, the Christian life if you don't understand that. Psalm 16, verse 11. These are words of the Spirit. This is what Spirit-filled looks like. This is how to talk to God about these things. Psalm 16, 11. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. Jesus is the revelation of that to us. Psalm 119, 76. Your steadfast love comforts me according to your promises. This is what the Spirit-filled life looks like. It deals with our stress, deals with our insecurity, and finally, lastly, it deals with our fear. Hope. The Spirit-filled life is sustained by experiencing the comfort of a Savior who is a revelation of of hope. You might have noticed the headlines of the the White House family that does the rounds on the talk show circuits. Talking about the absence of hope in America. I think the implication is that when the, that particular family leaves the White House there will be no hope. But Who knows? What's true is that it is a huge dilemma in Western culture. Hope. There are times and circumstances of life, in my life, and in your life, when we need an anchor of certainty for the future. We face stress, we face insecurity, and we face fear. What does it look like to be full of the Holy Spirit? This was the glory of Israel. The glory of Israel now made as a a revelation to all the nations. The glory of Israel was this, is that their God knew the future and nothing that opposed them could could ever thwart what God had purposed for them to do for them. That's their glory. And now, as Simeon says, not only is it Israel's glory, but it's also known, made known through this baby to all of the Gentiles. And I am comforted. I was, I'm reading through the book of Isaiah right now in my personal reading, and I think it's chapter 16, where the uh, prophet uses the uh, very um, picturesque language to describe the experience and the sounds, the aureole and, and visuals of, of a nation marching. And just it, it, it takes your mind back of, of what it would be like to live. It's, it's kind of like that, that, that trilogy movie series that they try to portray in, in the cinema in Lord of the Rings of just hordes of people that marching so many of them that they're literally shaking the earth. And, we and, and, you know, this, this isn't back in the days of, of Geneva Convention. It wasn't back in the days where there was, was rules of war. These hordes of people killed entire nations and carried off their gods to their own temples. And this is what the Lord says to Israel. He says, you see that? You hear that? You feel that on the ground? Don't worry about it. They'll be gone tomorrow. That's the glory of Israel. I am the living God who knows, your, who knows the future, and there is nothing that can thwart my purposes for you. And so also in Jesus. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Those simple words. and yet so elusive sometimes. Do not let your hearts be troubled. This Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This Jesus is the one who, by proof of his empty tomb, says, I own the keys of death and Hades. Nothing can thwart the eternal life I give to all who call upon me. So, lift your eyes. That's what a spirit-filled life looks like. Lift your eyes. You know, they, they talk about raising, raising a glass to life. Well, we do that every month here at the table. We raise food and we raise a drink to say, the Lord is coming. It's a coming, Lord. Amen. Lift your eyes. Look upon him as the one who brings hope. But, of course, there's, there's, again, there's huge cultural obstacle. We live in a culture of despair. It, it, it's, 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 it's heart-wrenching to see the despair that, that takes such a big price in the culture around us. We live in a culture where people will pay big dollars for distraction. This is one of the, the, the biggest dollar value industries in the world. Call it a hobby, call it whatever you want. It's distraction anything to keep people from having to think about the actual circumstances of their lives. I mean, um, what did the paper say that how many dozens of people died of fentanyl overdose just in Vancouver in the last weekend? I read an article that undertakers, get this, undertakers, people who have to touch dead bodies are complaining to civil authorities because so many of the bodies that they have to touch are contaminated with drugs. It's unbelievable how, how the despair of our culture is, 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 is ruining so many people's lives. And, and the whole subject of, of mental health and of, of grief, it just rolls into people's lives and they, they don't know how to deal with it because they, they don't have hope. This is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. To be comforted by Jesus as the one who holds the future and to be given hope instead of despair. Psalm 10 says, The Lord is king forever and the nations perish before him. Psalm 46, this is one. Uh, again, I hope you understand why I'm quoting the Psalms. I, I, I hope you Read the Psalms. They give us the vocabulary of how to talk to God in the very circumstances that that we deal with, with stress and insecurity and fear. And they they give us the language of the Spirit of, of how do I even talk to God? And the things that the Spirit talks about in the Psalms are the things that would eventually become embodied in the person that Simeon would hold up and say, here's the glory of Israel. Psalm 46 1 says God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble therefore we will not fear though the earth give way in conclusion let me just leave you with this thought that when we pray Lord give us our daily bread this is what we're asking for this is what we're asking for We're asking for an ability to look to Jesus, not merely as an intellectual theory, not so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, well, yes, I believe the right things about Jesus, not so that we can come to church and say, well, yes, I agree with the pastor, but in our circumstances of our own life, that they be experiential. the Spirit but help us to grasp Christ in a way that leads to a light in the darkness real nourishment for our souls give us our daily bread let's pray and we'll sing together thank you Lord for the story of Simeon Use it to encourage us, I pray. Guide us. Help our thoughts. Make us people full of compassion, I pray. We're often full of weakness. And so, thank you for the words of the scripture that say that he gives more grace. Thank you for your mercy to us. Give us joy, I pray, even as we sing. Through this Christmas season, nourish us, I pray, on the thought of such a Savior. And fill us with your Spirit, I pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.